In verse 39, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he was as, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. So coming out. So right before this, when we look back, there was the Last Supper. Jesus had called the twelve together. They prepared, and they are having the Last Supper. So Jesus has been in Jerusalem, the area of Jerusalem, every day going to the temple, teaching in the synagogue, being among the people. And at night, they were not staying in the city. They would leave the city, head out to the Mount of Olives, and in this garden area, and we know it's called Gethsemane by the, the other Gospels, and they would go out there, and that's where they would spend the night and, and kind of stay. And so this was their custom. They were coming in and going out. We know Judas has already made a deal with the, the, the priests and the, the, the leaders there to betray Jesus, and they wanted to do it in secret at night. So they wanted to catch him where he was not among the crowds, and so Jesus, you know, Judas takes off at this last supper time and leaves to go get them, knowing that the evening's going to come to a close and they're going to be headed home, or, or back to where they, they usually sleep. And so, th they were coming out, and this was their custom, and they just had the last supper. He sat down, he, he explained this new covenant, this new direction, how things were going to be different, how they needed to to be ready for this new ministry, how he wasn't going to be with them, how they needed to have money bags, and, and you know, uh, uh, how Jesus is pro-gun, I guess you could say, you know, bring a sword with you. There were robbers in the day and stuff you needed to defend. Very practical things, you know, to be able to survive. And so he, he's gone through this, and he's explained these things. And many times in the gospel, as Jesus has repeatedly, repeatedly explained what's going on, the disciples don't get it. It's over their head. But at this point, I believe they truly are coming to an understanding and it's weighing heavy upon them. So when they came out, verse 40, then he came to the place and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so I truly believe as we look at this section in the Gospel of Luke, this is the key of what uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Holy Spirit here is trying to say about the man, Jesus Christ, in this situation is, hey, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Here's this big change coming, this trial coming. We, we know what he's going to walk. It's called the passion, this time of Jesus' passion. Because if you didn't call it passion, if it wasn't based on love, what else would this be but a maniac, suicidal? Who would do this if it was not for a passionate love for us? This time, how would you explain with any other word what Christ is going to go through for us here. And here this time is coming and he's telling them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. As Judas has at this point. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. And what temptation is he talking about? Well, all temptation comes down to one thing. Our old nature. Going back to our will and our plan and our flesh instead of seeking God and living in the Spirit. And that's what he's saying. Pray that you do not follow your flesh. Pray that you do not go back to your own ways. Pray that you don't try to figure these things out on your own. And verse 41, it says, And he said, er, as he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. Now Luke, you know, there's some different details in each gospel, but Luke gives some interesting details here. We know as Jesus does this, the disciples end up falling asleep. And from the other gospels, they end up falling asleep three times. Jesus goes and prays the same thing and they fall asleep. It makes me wonder, okay, who was watching this? Did they just get the first part of the prayer and we never got the rest? And, you know, he only got through one sentence and then they fell asleep. So they, they had that recorded. But it's very clear somebody was paying attention. Because look at the details here. He went and he was a stone throw away. From the other Gospels, we knew that he went with and he, the, the whole were there and he pulled Peter, James, and John aside and went out a little farther. And then he was a stone's throw away from them and he knelt down to pray, which was not common. In the culture at the time when you prayed, you would stand, your eyes would not be bowed, your hands would be lifted to heaven, which would, you know, it's not the way we pray these days. But Jesus knelt down and he prayed. And what he had said here, and so they, this was recorded for us, and it's interesting to see the detail of the simple things here of what's going on. And he prays that this cup, this cup, and, and what is that cup? It's, a, it's really saying like a portion. When you go back through Psalms, and you go back, I think Psalm 63, 3 or, and 75 and stuff, and you look at the cup, it was a cup. It's like a, a cup of a, a portion which God is giving to you, which you are going to receive. And, and to take that choice of whatever's in that vessel and drinking it, it's going to affect your body. You know, if you take a cup of poison or you take a cup of water, what that's going to do for your body, that, that symbolism in that sense there. And this cup of what's coming, this plan of what's coming for the Father, he is asking, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And in this, and knowing this prayer and what Jesus asked this three times repeatedly, means there is no other way. Well, that's very narrow-minded of you, Tim. Yes, it is. The truth is very narrow. You know, you, you always hear, you know, the story a college professor goes in there, you know, in class and goes, do you think truth is narrow? And you know, all the kids say, yeah, truth, truth is narrow, sure, why not? And he goes, okay, what shirt, color shirt are you wearing? Well, you're wearing a blue shirt. Well, there's all kinds of shades of blue. See, truth is very broad. Well, actually, there's one color blue shirt you're wearing made from one factory, and if you study it, that shirt's totally unique to everything else. And if that wasn't the case, the FBI would have a really hard time convicting anybody, you know? Oh, yeah, we found your DNA. Well, you know, there's all kinds of shades of DNA, and I mean... No, it's very specific. Truth is very narrow. And this is the only way. Even Jesus, if there was any other way, any other way, there isn't. That cross, his sacrifice upon the cross, and this, there is only one way to be done, to, to be done with the sin and death in this world. There was only one option. And it's easy to forget that Jesus was fully man as well as fully God, to bear what is coming. We think real easy, right? If, if we didn't have this account in Luke and we were thinking, oh, it's God, you know, why did he even pray this, you know? You think if Jesus Christ had a hard time submitting, willingly to submit, continue to submit, but how to pray about it three times? It would be good for us to pray about it. Are we going to be put in situations like that? Yeah, we have these experiences. But he said, not my will but yours be done. 
And again, when we are tempted, it's not a temptation of usually some great evil. It is just simply our will over God's will. In John um, 12, 27, it says, Now my soul, and this is, this is earlier on. This is not even near that night. This is earlier in his ministry. Jesus says, And now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came for this hour. So even Jesus knew all the way back his whole purpose, the whole plan was coming here. If you remember last week when we looked at the Last Supper, he said, I earnestly, earnestly have wanted to have this meal with you, knowing what's coming next. I wanted this new covenant and stuff. But even as it approached of what was going to happen, what was going to need to be bared, I don't think it's possible for us to even grasp the shame of the sin Christ took on in the cross. I mean, we can get an idea of, of sin and, and how shameful it can be, right? But can you really think of how shameful the sin of the whole world is? All the murder that has taken place. All the horrendous, repeated acts to take that shame, that guilt, that burden upon you. It's uncomprehendable. I mean, they're, they're, forget the shame of the world. How many, just, you can think of one or two men, would you even try to take their shame off? Hitler. Anybody want to be responsible for that? Would you sleep well if you had done those things? And sadly, some of us can sit back and look at our life and go, whoa, I can't sleep well with just what I've done. I forget about Hitler or anything else. And we sit there and we look at what would that have taken but here is a component that came to mind when you're sending that. The shame, okay, well, if you're Hitler, maybe you're twisted enough to sit there and not give a darn. Whatever, I did it. What happens when you are love? See, most of the things I'm more shameful about isn't the, the guy who was a jerk who I was a jerk back to. It's the person who was loving to me who I wronged still why they were loving to me and hurt. Those are the things that are harder. And here yet, Christ loved the whole world way more than we could imagine, and he takes that guilt and that shame upon him in love for us. What a thing to bear to know that shame, to be able to walk through it and to take that on. And so seeing this, seeing this man as he asked, is there any other way? There is no other way. This was the only answer. And so he continues on, and, and we get a verse 43 and 44 to, to be fair to you guys if anybody ever brings it up. You know, 43 and 44, and some of the original documents isn't there, but some of the older ones are documents. These two next verses aren't really shown sometimes. You'll see that. But again, I don't, they're not going to change any great theology, right? And when, when you got 50-50 divide on it, we're going to teach you this scripture here. So then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down from to the ground. So he is praying. He is in distress. And I don't think any of us would disagree in that situation. Forget Forget just the shame, but the physical aspect of what he's going to go through. I have injured myself repeatedly many a times, and I can deal with it. I put a piece of glass through my leg, walk, stitch it up, and all that. 
the worst time I've ever had was when I knew I was going into surgery and knew beforehand. I can deal with the pain after the fact, but knowing it's coming, ooh, I would rather not know. You know, it's just like, I feel fine, I don't, you know, it's fine going to the doctor when you're already hurt and they're gonna only make it better, but intentionally going to start, you know, it's a whole different thing. To look at that and the physical thing of what Christ is going to go to and do here, and he is, it, it is, he is there, he is sweating, not blood, but like great, great drops of blood. Sweating so profusely, it is like you're bleeding, like you've been cut and it's gushing out. It's falling to the ground. It is very heavy on him. You know, you talk about getting clammy, you know, some people get nervous, they get clammed up and stuff. To be in such physical distress of what's coming and be praying and seeking and continuing, but being willing and submitting to the Father His will over His own. And when He arose from praying, verse 45, when He arose from praying and He come to His disciples, He found them asleep from sorrow. They get what's going on. They see the tone. I don't know how many conversations happened from where they ate the Last Supper to back out to the garden, or was it just quiet and the weight of the things they heard were upon them. But the weight, they was there, and it was heavy, and they went to sleep. And I don't know about you guys, when there are things going on and you are emotionally drained, sometimes you just want to sleep. You know, I don't know if all you are that way. I'm very active. I don't get that way. Sometimes you just don't want to get out of bed in the morning, right? Just don't want to get out of bed. You know, and I'm, I'm sure there are some that are not here this morning that just didn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you know, I, I was joking around. Uh, you sit there and you're talking. You go, you know, one thing about being the pastor, it sure makes it hard to not get out of bed Sunday morning. It makes it a lot difficult, you know. Um, not to say some guys aren't willing to fill in right away, but you don't, you don't want to burn them out, you know, in that sense. But and just being obedient. Sometimes you just don't want to get up. And they are there. It's been an emotional day. It's been a hard day. They're overwhelmed, and they're just falling to sleep, and they, they just can't stay awake. And you've got to imagine how rough these things got to be to hear. They're heavy, heavy things. You know, if you come to you and a loved one you find out is dying or is sick or you get that bad news, those things are heavy. They keep you either up at night and then you don't want to go. Sometimes you just, if I got to wake up, I got to think about this. And it can be all kinds of things for sleep, you know, um, all kinds of different things. I mean, look at verse 46 here. It said, and he said to them, why do you sleep? Arise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And some of us, you know, there's all kinds of sleep. We call, I call it zoning out. I just need a zone out. So we're going to go watch a movie or something and zone out. I remember, uh, I think I've shared this before, but man, me and Heidi were tight on money and everything was there. And so we lived in, in the high desert in Lucerne Valley and Big Bear was up the hill where we went from church. And, you know, it's, it's the high desert, okay? There isn't, a, there isn't a convenience store in four miles from you. If, if a little gas station, if it's open, two gas stations in town. Blockbuster was 45 minutes away, okay? So we drove the 35 minutes up to Big Bear where it had a theater with only two theaters. You had the choice of two movies to watch a movie, just to zone out, get away, not stress about stuff. And the movie plane was the perfect storm where men stressed out about money go out into the ocean and all die. 
very, very encouraging. You know, very, uh, I talk about a miserable day. But you know, sometimes we need just to arise and pray and not give in to that temptation, not to give in to the emotions, to really see it for what it is. And there are those times when things are hard and we're going through those and you have those garden experiences and you feel like everything's pressing on and you feel drained and you feel out of it. And the last thing you want to do is, I'm drained, I'm tired, I want to pray. But sometimes that's what we need to do is just put it down, leave it in God's hands and leave it alone. You know, and again, zoning out can go watch a movie, you know, Craigslist, whatever, buy a car, you know. There's all kinds of things we can do to forget about the responsibilities we do, you know. And we've all seen it. But we need to, and it says again, arise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. It's amazing how when I'm praying and I'm seeking God, I don't fall into temptation. It's kind of like, you know. How do you not enter into temptation? It's really hard to, not to say it isn't, uh, not to say you don't get temptations thrown at you and fiery darts when you're praying and stuff. You know, some of us are kind of like, what was that, um, up, up, and away, the squirrel, you know, the dog squirrel, squirrel, you know, sitting there, you're praying, dear God, help me with this and this. Whoa, what was that over there, you know? And it's easy, especially with things like Facebook and your phone, I don't know, you notice that your phone like, Me and Heidi finally like, okay, we're going to sit down and spend some time together, start praying about things. Both our phones start blowing up with stupid stuff, you know. And it, some, you know, and now you get these programs like Offer Up. They'll send you a notification when something comes up. You know, I mean, yeah, distractions left and right. But it's so we don't fall in temptation. If you're seeking God, there isn't a temptation. There's your will. There's putting things in order. It's reorganizing your mind and your priorities. I need to pray because these things... They're clouding my judgment, the, my emotions, the weight of the situation. I want to act a certain way, and it's not good. And what happens if we don't pray? What happens if we fall into temptation? Well, we have some examples here. You know, we see here in verse 47, while he was speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now this was common in a sense of, um, it's, it's kind of weird, there's some cultures, you know, the kiss on the cheek thing, if you go to another uh, culture, Italy or something, it might freak you out a little at first, you know, ah, you're in my personal bubble space here, you know. And, um, but it was common with a Jewish rabbi, if you were his disciple, if you were known by him, they would grab you on the shoulders and give you a kiss, you know, and, and that was a sign of respect, that was a sign of, hey, this is how close he is, he's my teacher, he's this, I respect him in that way. And so, you know, back then, here you have this multitude of trained Navy SEAL type men, these leaders, coming out in the middle of the night to find Jesus. And they walk into the garden, and it's like, hey, it's the guy over there glowing. No, Jesus didn't stand out, right? He wasn't of any great reputation. And so when Judas said, hey, I'm his disciple, well, who's Judas? How do you know he's Judas? How do you know he's one of his 12? Well, he claims to be, is he? Let's check this guy out. And we'll know if he is because this interaction isn't going to help it ha- happen between anybody else. He couldn't have just pointed at him. It had to be this action. This is like throwing out your ID card. We want to see your driver's license. 
if this guy, who's one of his 12, treats him this way, does the secret handshake, if you would, then we know it's Jesus. And that's why it was done with a kiss. And so here we see somebody who has fallen into temptation. And here's something that should be only done with somebody that you care about, whether there's this love with, and all these things. I mean, it would be like you're sitting there and, and you've, you plan to, you know, you've, you've planned to murder your spouse and you go, okay, when you see me in the square, the one I give a kiss to and say I love, that's the one you shoot. I mean, that's the level of what Judas is doing to Jesus here to betray him. And that's where his, his temptation falling to his own will, looking for money and desire has taken this one man. And so you see that, but then also in verse 49, we see Peter reacting. We see Peter who has not prayed, who fell asleep, reacting to the situation when he did not seek God, when he was not obedient, and he's falling into this temptation. Right? We see it in verse 49. It says, When those around him saw what was going on or going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike them with a sword? The sword? They go back to verse 37. They're looking last week. Okay, you said we got to be ready to go. And you asked, you know, you said we had a thing. And we said we had two swords. They're still focused on two swords. You know what I mean? It's like you go out, you know, we're going to go out camping, boys. And you know, we need this and this and bring the gun. Now all the boys, you know, all your little boys want to think about is, we got the gun, I got the gun, Dad. We need the gun yet? When are we going to use the gun? I mean, that's what these men seem like, right? Okay, Lord, should we strike them? We got the swords, you know. You have the Navy SEALs here. Okay, you have two very trained, actually, group of men here, you know. And they're sitting here, and verse 50, it says, and says, one of them, one of the servants, struck the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now, it's interesting the fact when you sit there and you go, okay, he cut off his right ear and he sits there. So they're there, you have the servants, the, the, one of them pulls out a sword and we know that's Peter because later John gets away with it. You know, you ever, you ever tell stories around like Thanksgiving? For some reason, we had like a thing at my house. After a certain amount of time, you could tell stories at Thanksgiving, the things that mom and dad didn't know really happened. Like there was like a... a you know, you had, you know, seven-year period, and that way you don't get charged with a crime, you don't get put on restriction. And so John tells us, hey, this is Peter who pulled out the sword. And, 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 um, and so Peter pulls out the sword, and he takes off the, the, the priest, um, oh gosh, now I'm spacing on his name, but um, Malchus, yeah, and he cuts off his ear, right? But I'm going to do a demonstration here. We have, we have Jeff here, and he's medically trained, and so I'm going to have Phil come up, our worship leader. Oh yeah, so come here, Phil. So I, I want to explain this. Dave Groofsick kind of brought some things out, and, and I, you know, I kind of like the, the investigating things. So at that time in that culture, it would have been uncommon or almost impossible to be left-handed. Not that you weren't born that way, but it was uncleanly. When you didn't have toilet paper and things like that, one hand was used for one thing and one hand was used for another. And if you used the wrong hand... That, that was as bad as spitting in somebody's face or worse. If I touched you with my left hand, if I opened a door, broke bread with, if I used the wrong hand for something, and so primarily in the culture, everybody would have been using their right hand. So it's pretty safe to say Peter was right-handed, right? So I got a sword here, and Jeff is ready. And so <laughs> if he is a high priest here, and we got the sword, right? 
how am I going to chop off his right ear if I'm right-handed? Not very easy task, right? The, the, do you guys, I mean, can you picture the angle or do we got to demonstrate and you got the sutures? Okay. So, but right, this isn't going to work too well, right? You guys all agree? Phil, turn around. So where do you think Peter was standing when he swung the sword? Just a thought, right? He, he, he shot him in the back in a sense, right? It's a lot easier cut. You're good. You're alive. We still have worship after service. Let's pray. <laughs> so drop that down there. So when you think about that, it is a lot easier to hit him. So he, you know, so there the situation is going on and Peter sees it. And you can see him probably jumping out of a bush or half asleep like a wild man. You know, they have two swords. Of course, Peter have, had, had to have one. I wonder how that discussion went. Who got to carry the sword? And he jumps off and he whacks this guy from the backside, you know, most likely, and chops his ear off. Again, G Peter's reacting to the situation. And, and his heart was there. His heart in that sense of what he wanted to do was there. Um, verse 31, and Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Peter forgot. Peter wasn't in prayer. Peter did not know the will of God. He was actually 100% against the will of God at that point. Could you imagine if this scene went down to where Jesus is out there in a fortified position? And the high priest guards show up with their clubs and the Romans with their sword and they have to chase them down and there's this great battle and they finally get God and make Him, force Him onto the cross. Then is He God? Well, if your God can be forced by anybody, convinced by anybody, or arm-twisted into a situation, that's not a God you want to have anything to do with. Or, if your God needs you to defend Him, if your God needs you to defend him, you're worshiping the wrong God. What is the will of God in this situation? And Peter's heart here is clear. He desired and was willing to do whatever it took. He wanted to defend, but his heart was not in the right spot. It wasn't in line with what God was. It wasn't what the plan of God was. He was out of sync with what the Lord was doing because he wasn't in prayer, and he ended up in his own will and in the flesh and in temptation to run and do it. And Jesus kind of makes this clear in verse 52, and it says, And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders who had come out to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? So you came out in the middle of the night. You came out in secret. You, you came out with the, 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 the chief priest, the guard, the, the high military there. You came out with uh, swords and clubs, which speak of the Romans, the, the military force and that was around the priest and could be with the priest weren't allowed to have swords. The only military force group that could have swords was a Roman. If you were in, union, in a un, uniform of any port of government and you had a Roman sword, you weren't allowed to have it. So you have the Roman guard there, you have clubs there, and you have here Peter going to take them on from the back, you know. But Jesus says, hey, you guys came out. You came out at night. You came out like this. And why did you come out? 
Verse 53, when, it, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Here, even in this, Jesus makes it clear to these men what's going on. He's truthful with them, ain't he? If there was any conclusion that you thought you were right and just in the sight of God, we are the, we are the priests, we represent God, this guy this guy is a tyrant. This guy is against it. He is speaking blasphemy. We are going to put him out. I mean, he is a betrayer. He's against God. And that's why we have to do it at night, in the middle of the dark, in secret, and in darkness. Jesus goes, why are you doing this now? If this is right, you should. why can't you do it in the open? Why can't you do it? Why do you got to come out in this manner, in this way, considering these things? You know, the amazing thing is before this, we know in the other gospel, in Gospel of John, where it talks, you know, again, the Gospel of John about the divinity of Christ. When they came, and they came in, they asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he responded, I am. The same words in the Old Testament, they all fell on their backside. And they had to get up and ask him again, you know, I'm he. You know, it was clear. Jesus made it even clear to... to um, Marcus here, that this man whose ear was cut off, the servant of the high priest who was in control, who was in charge, and what a, even a loving thing to do to that man. He didn't leave him there with his ear cut off. He, okay, this evil thing happened, I'm going to heal you. Man, can you imagine? I have a feeling that guy is sitting there in heaven because of that instant. Here God was loving to this man even who's coming out to against him. Even to these, he's making it clear. Do you see where your heart is? Do you reveal it? You're not in the will of God. What are your true intentions? Jesus even healing this man. In verse 54 it says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. And now... When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So Peter here, not fleeing, not running away. You know, he's not out hiding. Compared to Mark, he at least has all his clothes on and didn't flee away. He is there. His heart is there. He loves the Savior. But as he's there, as a little while ago, he decided he was going to take on the elite military force as a fisherman from behind with a sword. You know, his heart's there. You remember back um, just a couple verses before, I think 34, 35, it said, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times. You know, no, but I'm willing to die for you, Lord. A little while ago, would any of you guys doubted that? You pull out a sword in that situation? You're lucky Jesus stopped it. Or this would have happened, you know? And so here, Peter, willing to take on this great military force, comes following Jesus, sits down, right? And suddenly, Peter's reacting again. He's not praying. He's not praying for the situation here. He is straight fear, emotion, being ran by it, acting by the situation, not seeking God, and a certain, verse 56, and a certain servant girl, seeing him, sat by the fire and said, looked intently at him and said, this man also with him. This man was also with him. So now, no elite military force, a little girl scout interrogates Paul. Hey, look, this man was with him. 
And how does Paul respond? I, I'm willing to go to prison with you, Lord. I'm willing to die for you. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while longer, another Solomon said, You also are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidant affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I do not know you, or I do not know what you are saying. And immediately he was, as while he was speaking, a roaster crowed. So he's sitting there, and Peter goes from willing to take on this military guard to now sitting there not denying to even know him. And you go, man, how do you flip that much, right? One to the other extreme. Uh, man, I'm going to go out, Lord, and I'm going to serve you and this and this, and I'm going to take everybody on. And the next thing you know, I don't even know who Jesus is. And we've seen that. It's amazing when you slow down and you've seen that. You know where I've seen that? In the mirror. Right? I can think of people, but also I can think of myself. There's been times, God, I'm going to this and this. And God goes, no, that's not my plan, my will. Fine. I don't you know, I go pout. Right? <laughs> then I'm just not going to go to church anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to serve you at all if I don't get to do it my way. But it's interesting to see when you look at this and you see this flip and, and this change and here Peter's still reacting. He's not praying. He's not there. You see this downward spiral where it's one thing. Boom, boom. Three things in a row. He doesn't just double down on no, I don't know him. He triples down on it, right? Which we've never done that. I know none of you have ever been caught in a lie and doubled down on it at all, right? Like That doesn't happen. Just Peter here. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, the Lord's there, the crowd's there, and he makes eye contact with Peter. And I can tell you, I'm sure, when you look at this, you know it wasn't a look of disgust or it wasn't a look of anything, but it was a look that caused Peter to remember what Jesus had already said. Jesus already told him. As he was speaking, the rooster crowed. There's no doubt. I mean, Jesus said, this is going to happen. I'm sure Jesus is sitting here looking at Peter and go, and remember what else I said. This is the look. Finish what I told you, the rooster crowed, and then you're to strengthen the brethren. Remember everything I've told you. Remember how many times I warned you this is going to happen beforehand. I'm going to rise again. Remember it all. And so I think very much in a loving way, Jesus made eye contact with Peter so Peter would remember the words of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crowed, I would deny you three times. You know, we get in a situation sometimes, and really what prayer is, is talking to God. One of the first things to do when you look at the Lord's prayer is remembering who God is, who you're talking to, putting things in perspective. You know, it's real easy when you realize who God is and what you pray for. You know, if you realize who you're talking to, it changes what you talk about, right? Do you ever go up to a two-year-old and talk about how maybe they, you know, might give you a loan on a new house? No, you talk to a loan officer, somebody with authority. You know, if you're before the president of the United States, you're going to have a different conversation than with a teenager, right? Remembering who God is, what he said, remembering those things. And so Peter, remembering what the Lord said, remembering these things were coming, with his sin, with his failure, Peter in verse 
62, so Peter wept, or went out and wept bitterly. You know, every time when sorrows come and hard things come, trials and those things, and you're overwhelmed and you don't seek God and you're not willing to follow His will and you just want to sleep through it, it always leads to bitter weeping. Always leads to bitter weeping. I cannot think of a time when I chose to follow and be, walk in temptation, follow my flesh, that it didn't lead to weeping and sorrow. Failing to pray, failing to obey, failing to remember who God is always leads to temptation, which then leads to sorrow. We are to pray and we are to obey. Jesus was praying. He obeyed. Fully man, fully God in this situation. Prayed, obeyed, remembered the plan of God, obeyed the plan of God, and submitted for joy. And it says in another scripture repeatedly, you look all over the Bible, talks about he did it, he did it, went to the cross in joy for us. You know, Jesus prayed again and again. You know, I'm not into repetitious prayers that are out of your heart, you know. But sometimes when there's certain things going on, bring it up again and again. God, I'm serious about this. I'm not leaving until I get an answer. When he gives you an answer, there's a time to shut up and obey. You know, there's times there's you pray about something, pray about something, and God says, okay, that's enough. You know, and there's other times you pray about things for years and years and years. There's been times me and Heidi have prayed and prayed and prayed and God said, okay, you're not allowed to pray for that anymore. But, okay. So we see really clearly what happens when you don't pray, when you fall asleep, when you're in sorrow. Well, what happens when you don't? What happens when you actually pray? What happens when you obey? Acts, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. You know, Peter, the word means, and the word Peter literally means rock. And most of the time when we think of Peter, we can focus so much on who, the Peter we threw through the Gospels, who definitely is not Peter the rock, but more Peter like quicksand. <laughs> you know, foot in his mouth, Peter. I don't know if there's a, a, a Greek word for that. But Jesus calls him a rock for a reason. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says... On the day of Pentecost, they're all sitting there. They were told to go. They're all in Jerusalem. All, uh, the, the, they're all there in one accord together, the believers. They're seeking God. They're praying. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're sharing the gospel in many tongues, praising the Savior in many tongues. And as the people in the city hear it and come to listen, Peter out of the eleven steps up and starts to share the gospel. And towards the end of sharing the gospel, after he declares who Jesus was and that they crucified him, he says in verse 36, Acts chapter 2, 36 says, Therefore let all those of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now it's interesting here, Peter had a hard time cutting off a ear with a fleshly sword that was very ineffective. 
And here now with the Word of God, with the Gospel, he's sitting in a situation where we'll find out later over 3,000 people are cut to the heart. The Bible considered, you know, the sword of the Lord cuts between even marrow and bone, even sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword Peter should have been wielding, full of prayer, full of the Holy Spirit, seeking here, cuts to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, men and brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord will call and many others words he testified exhorting them saying be saved from this perverse generation for those who gladly received the word were baptized and on that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued fast and studied in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So here we see a glimpse of Peter at one point in his life when he fails. He blows it, he isn't in prayer, and he fails. And he's reactive and he's acting out. And even his best intention to serve the Lord and ripping out a sword was wrong because he wasn't in the Spirit. He wasn't led. He wasn't according to God's will. And then later we see what happens when he prays and he's willing and he steps up and he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's submissive with God's will and you see 3,000 people get saved at one time. Could you imagine what this looked like? This is the beginning of the church, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. From this point, this is truly the foundation of God's work and to be at the beginning of it. Here Peter stands as a rock Denied him, denied what? Denied him three times in this case. Confessed him in at least over front of 3,000 people who know how many more were there. You know, you sit there and you look at that and many times we can look at our lives and we can sit there and you go, when you talk about the guilt of sin and, and the failure and how many times we've forgotten to pray and haven't prayed and we have chosen to walk and fallen in temptation and followed our own faults and we've totally blown things apart and messed it up and you realize... God still says what? Strengthen the brethren. I'm still going to use you. You're still going to be my rock. I'm still going to use you. There isn't no greater thing than this. Jesus literally went to the cross for Peter's sin. This day, this day in Acts is less than 50 days later. If any one of you guys had fallen in sin or me in sin or, or stumbled in ministry in this way and denied Jesus Christ three times, would anybody in any church today put you back in ministry in front of a crowd in 50 days? I'm just saying, right? You kind of think about it, you go, no, there's no way we do that. That's not our Savior. That's not what God can do in a life. Sometimes we think we've got to be benched for years. Oh, I blew it, and I can't serve it. No. You need to pray. You need to obey and follow God's will. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter what if he says, well, you know, brother, I, I know you blew it, and you should be on the bench. No. You need to pray, and you need to obey, and you need to follow God's will. And here's the question for you is, what if we do that? What are you going to do this week? How, how family, church, are we going to do that this week? How, what does that practically look like? You know, are we out? You know, what, what, what overcomes that? I'd say the biggest thing, and you talk about, you know, Japan ta attacking America and waking the sleeping giant. At what point is the sleeping giant 
that is in America, the foundation, the people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to wake up in this country? At what point? What is it going to take for that to wake up to where we sit down and we go, okay, you know what? We're asleep. We got our device. We got this. We're not paying attention. We don't care, you know? And, and not to respond and go, okay, that's it. You know, we're, we're, I can't believe abortion and all this. Let's go get our swords out and start whacking off ears and attacking. No. Are we willing to first, what's the first step? To pray. To pray. God, show us what you want to do. Show us what your will is. And that can happen on a national level. That can happen in, in the fellowship here, you know. And I think that's always a challenge to us is, okay, where are we at? At what time are we at? In this fellowship, well, what time are we called in here? You know, I see God working. I see some of us and all of us, not some of us, all of us have struggled, fallen. None of us are worthy of the calling he has placed on our life. Not Peter. And if you have to think, well, Peter only denied Jesus Christ and he did, da, 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 da. okay, then let's start looking at Paul. Then you can stop giving me excuses why God can't use you anymore. And now you need to just what? We need to just pray and being willing to seek God. There are so many things going on, you know, even in my life personally this week, trying to get the company getting ready to do ministry stuff and go, okay, God, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to go. And then you just go, man, forget this. You know, sometimes, not that I don't love you guys and stuff, but sometimes you go, man, what if we just moved to somewhere where nobody knew us and I could just, you know, there's like no expectations and I can just, you know, I don't know. You know, sometimes you just think, you know, I love my kids and everything else, but honey, what if we just got in a, you know, fifth wheel and ran away for a while, lived in the woods, you know, make sure we don't run into people so we don't have to serve anybody. I mean, (laughs) so just be selfish and miserable, totally miserable. I mean, the truth of the matter, just, you know, but sometimes you just think, God, what what did I do? And then you realize, man, I'm not praying. I'm not seeking. I've started to pull out my own sword to make things happen. You know, and at one point I'm, I'm trying to make it happen here and the other things I just don't want to even have anything to do with it, you know. I'm standing there in line and the Holy Spirit's prompting me to share with somebody and I'm thinking, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Please don't let them find out I'm a Christian. Don't have them ask me about something about serious or they might need prayer for. That's not Tuesday yet. That's the EE class. We'll wait until then. I'll do it then, Lord. I'll obey you later, not today. You know, get up there. Well, how's it going? Oh, I just had, oh, man. You need prayer, don't you? No. <laughs> Praying you didn't need prayer. No. Yeah, sometimes. That's why we are. I'm sorry. That's, um, that's the way I am. Maybe you're not that way, but that's just me. But we sit down and we look at this. And so as we look at this account through Luke, and you look at Jesus the man, and you look at the prayer and how he repeats that several times, and we see where Peter's at. Not that Peter's totally restored and all that. And we could, there's so many more amazing things through the story you could study but this morning and through the account of Luke really sitting there arise and pray arise and pray I don't know if you came in here and you just feel overwhelmed and stretched in a hundred different ways and like man I just God it just seems like just like just like too much clutter <laughs> you know, too many things going on too many people asking things or too busy Lord take the time sit and pray take the time sit and pray Turn off your Netflix account, your Amazon account. When you, when you feel like, oh, I just need to zone out, it's been a long day, how about just sitting and praying until you fall asleep at least instead of watching something until you fall asleep, you know? 
I like some boring shows because that way, you know, if I, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, I, if I don't somehow like try to change gears before I go to sleep, I don't give things to the Lord, suddenly I don't sleep. I dream about them all night, you know? I dream about roofs leaking. I dream about all kinds of crazy things. I mean, that was a disease. You know, I used to get up, once I got up in the middle of the night, I swear it was raining. I was running armor roofing and working long days and everything else. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and it's raining. I'm throwing on my clothes. I got out there. I got roofs open. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get crews where, where we got the plastic out, get these roofs dried in, calling all the guys. And I get down the road, and Heidi keeps calling me. Heidi keeps calling me. Heidi keeps calling me. You know, what do you need? I'm trying to get everybody out. He goes, honey, it's not raining. I'm four miles away from home, in the truck, half-dressed, called half the company, woke him up. And I'm sitting there in my truck, and I'm looking around going, no, it, it's not raining. I don't need to go dry in roofs. I'm... Yeah, very restful night. I wonder what I was stressing about. You know, other times we've drawn roofs in the middle of the night. But, you know, that's just slowing down, trusting, and taking that. There isn't going to be rest. That's where you find rest. You know, one of the, you know, me and Heidi always like, you know, oh, you ever want to go on a vacation, get away, go do something. Have you, how many times have you gone away on a vacation, especially with your family, where it's been restful? I guarantee if you go with me, it's not. I've got to be doing something, doing something, doing something. A retreat has been the best things. We look for men's and women's retreat. The women's retreat coming up and stuff, those things, getting away, that's the best vacation, the best money to ever spend, by the way. You go out, you seek God, and God speaks to you. I come more back, more refreshed from than if I was sitting on some island somewhere, Cayman, cruise, or anything else, you know? Especially cruise nowadays. All you hear about is food poisoning, right? Like, bad weather. Be like Jonah running. If I go on a cruise, don't go with me. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you were fully God, but you were fully man. That you were such an example to us, God, of how to live as men and women, Father, how we need to be reliant on you, on the Father, and seeking his will and obedient, Father, even when it seems impossible. And that you will strengthen us, that you'll send ministering angels to us, that you will give us everything we need to do your will according to your calling. And there is great joy in those things, God. Help us not to seek our own will, our own flesh, our own ways, that we would miss out on the joy of what you're doing, God. We thank you that you've covered our sin. Everything in our past, all those things have been covered by your blood, that the weight of that sin you bear and you took to the cross, and it was a heavy, a heavy burden to bear, and one we are no longer to bear as your children. Help us to realize that. If there's anybody here that has sin in their past that just feels heavy on their heart, that they feel sorrow for, that they weep for bitterly, that they would just see that you prayed repeatedly and you're willing to bear that, that we will not have to, that we are free from that because of what you've done. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.